Here we go, guys. All right, so we have Mike Rogers on the on the podcast again, back for number two, Mr. Jim Howell. Thank you so much for, for having us in your home today. My pleasure. All right, and uh, so let's just uh, kind of probably kick off where we were just a second ago before I interrupted you guys talking, like, Jim. Can you just kind of just share um, – you know, like your background and, you know, you're like a pillar of the St. Louis boxing community, just the boxing community as a whole, but especially here in St. Louis. But can you just kind of tell me about your roots in St. Louis? Well, I was born in our St. Louis at uh, Jefferson and Parnell. And uh, my dad had been an amateur and professional fighter. So I seen his last couple of fights, but I mean, they're just fogs in the back of my mind. I, I can't really remember I was so young but I went to my dad walked out the door I had to be with him so when he went to the gym to train I went with him and of course somebody else had a little kid my size in the gym and me and him would be fighting so um, how old were you when you had your first fight I was seven years old and 55 pounds I went to see a fight with my dad and walked in i had been to several fights had never seen anybody my size and there's a kid my size standing on the scale and i said dad there's somebody my size see if i can fight him so he walked up and they said yeah our kids his name was charlie monahan become good friends of the family and uh he said charlie's had five fights and dad said well jimmy's had none but that's okay so he said, okay, get dressed, you got to fight. I said, Dad, I don't have my clothes here. So Kirk Douglas Sr.'s father and I were teammates at uh, St. Leo's Catholic Church, and he had four brothers. All, all them boys fought. And so one of them was there. He was 85 pounds. His name was Bobby. And... Bobby said, well, I, my fight got canceled. You can wear my clothes. Well, I was 55 pounds and he was 85. So they stuffed newspapers in the shoes and dad got a safety pin and pinned the shorts up where they'd stay on me. And uh, I fought my first fight and won and got to meet his mother. I could hear her hollering, Charlie, just screaming for him, you know. Well, every fight I had after that, if she was in the audience, she was hollering for me. Except two more times when I fought Charlie the, during my career. <laughs> she always rooted for him first, of course. But uh, I, And it just went on from there. I uh, fought till I was 17 and then quit to play basketball my last year of college, uh, college of high school. And uh, just I went back to help Dad train, and I worked out till I was – well, I think the last time I worked out I was in my 50s, but – uh, I worked out pretty steady through my 30s, and um, I just I didn't mean to be a boxing coach. I didn't mean to run a gym, but a guy had I that I had breakfast with uh, every morning. He was in the same restaurant, and we would be talking about the fight shows that were on television. And so I got a phone call, and this guy said he had two kids. He wanted to be in the Golden Gloves. I said, well, the weigh-ins are Saturday, and they ain't going to have time to get ready. He said, oh, they're in tip-top shape, five miles a day running, 
100 push-ups a day, do this, do that. I said, okay, bring him down. So when he walked in, it was my buddy that I've been having breakfast with for <laughs> for a couple of years. And uh, I said, well, I don't think they'll be ready, but I'm going to let you decide. I said, I, I got opponents to farm to work with, and we're not putting either one of them in the gloves because they're not ready. So he worked them out. We worked them out with these two kids, and he said, well, I still think they'll be all right. I said, okay, now I want you to watch these next two kids work out because they're both fighting in the Golden Gloves, and one of them will be in your kids' And both of your kids wait. One of them will be in both of them. So he looked at him and he said, thanks for looking after my kids. <laughs> he said, they're not ready. You're right. So he said, how come we don't have one of these gyms in Florissant? I said, because nobody cares. So he said, if I can get a gym, will you coach it? I said, absolutely. 30 days later, he called me and he said, come on, we're going to go look at your new gym. So Florissant Community College had those old wooden buildings that they started the college in. And they give us, there was four rooms in each building. It was a big long, looked like an army barracks. So they gave us one half of one side and uh, they had a, a real nice shower room. They had a a janitor that cleaned up every night. It was really neat. Plus, we had that rubberized track right over the hill from the gym. So it was a good place to get started, but it didn't last long. They needed the buildings. And we found an old meat market, of all things. They always talk about boxing and raw meat and stuff. <laughs> the whole Rocky story. Yeah. And so we found this old building, and... It was two Jewish fellows that owned it. They rented it to us for 175 a month. That was in 1970, probably five. I left there in nine in 2015, 20 uh, probably about 2012. And the one Jewish fellow offered me his half of the building. He said, "You take it and go on." I said, "I." can't put a new roof on it I can't fix the walls I you know I just don't have the money to do it I'm retired so I had to pass it up but they were so good to just they never even asked to raise the rent a dime so because it was for the kids and the first thing they warned us about was that if the neighbors complain you're out and we said we understood that so but we never had a bit of problem with uh any of the neighbors are, did have, um, I guess we'd been there about a month. And one evening we had kids boxing and both, I had two rings and eight heavy bags, three speed bags and some other equipment. And all of a sudden the door flung open and here come five cops with guns in their hands. Oh, wow. And I said, what the hell's going on? And some guy in a suit, and I'm assuming he was some kind of detective or something. And um, he said, no, you tell me what's going on. I said, well, this is an amateur boxing gym. This is for the kids. I said, what are you doing? 
And he said, well, we were told you guys were selling dope. They see all the kids coming in and out, so they thought you were selling dope in here. Oh, wow. So they, so they said, like, busting the door. Coach, is this the last place you had? Yeah, that's the old North. the old place on Hanley Road. You might have been old there Hanley. before, Adam. Um, did they do Golden Glove weigh-ins there? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. I've been yes. in there, yep. You remember that ratty old building? Yeah, it was. Well, we turned out some of the best fighters that ever existed. We had the only amateur in the world that ever beat Mark Breland, and that was Daryl Anthony. We had two kids at 125 pounds, Eddie Hobson and, and uh, Carl Daniels, that earned their way to the Olympic trials from different uh carl won it for the usa boxing he won the usa boxing nationals and uh eddie hobson won the national golden glove so that was their entry into the olympic trials and i think they had like uh probably eight or twelve people in the tournament the usa boxing had i think four but it could have been more and then there was the gloves and the usa nationals and Powell and there was a couple other national events that put people in it so my two kids went in in opposite directions and they met in the finals oh wow they beat everybody in the United States and you know neither one of them got to go to the nationals why is that I mean the Olympics never got I mean never got to go to the Olympics I'm sorry well they had a system they called the most worthy opponent so whoever won the tournament had to box the most worthy opponent twice. And I and the, the gentleman they picked had been number one. I'm almost positive he was number one in the world. I know he was number one in the United States. He might have been number two in the world. but um, uh, And he was a wonderful young man, a great little fighter, and really a nice person. But... They picked him. And I said, well, wait a minute. Both of these kids have already beat him this year. They said, no, he's he's our pick for the most worthy opponent. Well, I had been told at the weigh-ins that Carl Daniels would not win that tournament, that he was just too good. He would beat the guy who they figured would be the most worthy opponent. And uh, I said, no, they want the best fighter for the Olympics. And the guy said, they don't care. They there's there's a reason for that. Well, and maybe it sounds like sour grapes for me to say that, but I, I had so many coaches come up to me and said, "You you can't take that." I said, "There's nothing I can do about it." So the kid that they picked to go, he beat Eddie Hobson twice on fouls. Eddie was a ducking bobbing little guy and they call fouls on him and he lost the fight so this guy got to go he fought a gentleman named rohelio tour who was an african living in sweden the bell rang for the first round rohelio walked across the ring through one right hand hit him on the chin and knocked him out oh wow it's the only time i ever applauded a foreigner beating an american in my life but i was just that i was so upset the way they'd done the thing. But 
Hey, just want to take a second and say thank you to our show sponsors. Big thank you goes out to Strange Donuts. If you are in the St. Louis area, you got to check them out. They have four locations. They're in Creevecore, Maplewood, Kirkwood, and just across the river in Edwardsville, Illinois. They are slinging dones every day of the week, and it doesn't matter when you go in. You're going to be happy that you did. Every weekend, they do some sort of creative creation. You can never go wrong with it. Oh, my goodness. They have vegan options. They have options for the kid. They have options for the dog. They got options for your mom. It doesn't matter. They got options for everybody. Let them know that we sent you. You get nothing for doing so, but you will get some delicious donuts. So go check them out today. Strange Donuts. We are also brought to you by Imposed Will. Imposed Will is my company, and day by day we are building our community. I hope that you guys will come and join us. We have athletic apparel and gear. We just dropped our free flow shorts, the best training shorts on the market. We just dropped our base gi. Go check that out. We're taking care of our jujitsu community for sure, but anyone who is just athletic and moving and grooving, who's all about the mindset, who wants to be a part of a community of ass kickers, come join us. Come check us out. Imposedwill.com. That's not uncommon, though, in boxing, right? I mean, there's... A lot of politics in boxing. Oh, it, it's nasty. It really is. There's some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life in boxing, but but some of the rottenness too. So yeah, I'm sure you've kind of you probably come across quite a few characters, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the mob has a lot of ties in boxing, right? You know, not anymore but since there was a time. Oh, there was a time Can you when talk it was about terrible. That time? Yeah, there was a time when it was terrible. Supposedly. Sonny Liston was owned by the mob, and I've heard all kinds of stories from all kinds of boxing people uh, about his two fights with Muhammad Ali, and they were not supposed to be on the level because all the betting changed at the last minute for mm. for um, Liston to win big, so the 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 favor if you bet on Ali you won a lot more money, so supposedly he was supposed. But I I mean, did you have ties with Sonny Liston at all, or did your did you know? I I knew him. I by say I knew him. I worked out in the gym with him in uh, 1954. I lost in the finals of the uh, Golden Gloves and. A month later, that was in February, and then sometime in late March, I was asked to come down and try out for, they had what they called the International Golden Gloves. It was They brought European champs over, and they went to, I think, four or five different cities in the United States. And uh, I was supposed to try out for that, but I hadn't trained a day since the gloves, and I was just so far out of shape. But Sonny Liston was in the gym that night, and he was sparring with a guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but he was he was really a wonderful man. He became a, a minister a few years after his boxing career ended, and uh, he might still be alive. I'm not sure, but they were working out 16-ounce gloves and headgears, and Liston knocked him out so cold in the first round that they were prepared to take him to the hospital. Mm. And he started twitching, and pretty soon he 
was able to move and get up and and function. But he was a awesome individual. He fought a guy from Texas, and I'm sorry I can't remember his name right now. But he got his jaw broken the second round and fought eight round fought an eight round fight with a broken jaw. Oh wow! Now that I don't know how you that is a difficult job to do. But he was a he was a tough tough man, and he was just a tough man. He there was a priest in Saint Char- in uh, Florissant that had a, just had a love for boxing. And this one coach from St. Louis called him and said, Father so-and-so, you got to come up to Jeff City and look at this amateur boxer. So he said, okay. He said, I'd love to. So he went up and looked at him, and he said, it was the best fighter I've ever seen in my life. He's and he Jeff never City. had a fight. He said, uh, well, that, I guess he had probably had some fights in the joint there. But... Uh, they got tied up. Some of the, a couple of the coaches from St. Louis got tied up with him, and uh, but it was big money, and supposedly somebody from the mob <laughs> <laughs> made connections and got was, a hold of him. And was there a St. Louis mob that was involved with them, or is it somebody with no, Sonny Liston or it wasn't, outside of St. It Louis? It wasn't St. Louis. It wasn't the St. Louis group, although they may have been influential with finding somebody. What about? I don't know. Did Sonny Liston train in St. Louis at all for his? Partner? Well, he 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 his did at first. Yeah, like when he fought that guy from Texas. I think he was he was training here then. I think I'm not real positive. Did you know his trainers? I knew. Um, oh, he was, he was a great guy too. Listen, part of this getting old is forgetting names. <laughs> And you know, I remember so much. Yeah. I, I have trouble with names, but uh, this guy was really a great guy, and he had some some really good fighters in his lifetime. But he trained him as long as he could. But when he got forced out, why? Then he got moved to uh, San Diego. Oh no. No, it was uh, up on the East Coast somewhere. That's where all the gangsters were. Oh, yeah. But he got moved up somewhere on the East Coast, and uh, he eventually wound up in Denver, Colorado, where that's where he died. Sonny Liston? Yeah, and they said he died from an overdose of heroin or something. But to everybody who knew Sonny Liston, he wouldn't even get a shot to go overseas and fight because mm. he was scared of them needles, and he would, wouldn't have no part of it. Oh. He also play. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. He also at one time um, got uh, a police officer. I don't know if he tried to arrest him or tried to order him to move on or what, but he wound up beating a cop up, and a captain from the police department from St. Louis told him, you better move out of town mm. because you ain't beating my cops up. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad, it was a bad idea back then for sure. Yeah, so he left town, <laughs> but um, 
There's other guys from St. Louis like Archie Moore. And oh, tremendous fighter. I think Archie Moore was one of the best, probably the best fighter from St. Louis maybe. Or he fought Rocky Marciano and he was pretty old then, I believe, right? Well, yeah, he was in his 40s. Um, and smaller maybe? Uh, I think he was probably – Marciano's best fighting weight was 184 pounds. Oh. He wasn't a big man. He was a little guy. But um, – I just watched a, mo- a movie with Rocky Marciano. He fought um, – what's his name? Harry Heltz maybe? He was a, he was a concentration camp survivor. He was a, a boxer. And he fought Marciano. He was 175 pounds, and, and Marciano was 185 pounds. You're talking about uh, he was the light heavyweight champ of uh, the United States, and he, let's see, no, 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 I'm thinking of somebody else. I wish I could Google it. The movie is called The Survivor. I think I think the boxer's name was Harry Heltz. Can you look that up, Mike? Yeah. Your phone? The movie's called The Survivor, but it was really good. But Marciano just made me think of it. But yeah, this guy—he was in the concentration camps, um, uh-huh. and he had to—he had to box to survive. Like he had to fight to to make it through the concentration camps. Wow. Yeah, essentially, like one of the Nazi um, officers basically like picked him out and was like, "You're my guy now, and now you have to go <laughs> do this thing." And you know, if Haft. You, Haft. Harry Haft. Just says Haft. Mm. Say his last Spell it. H A F T. Oh, I'll be there. Yeah. Let's see. He uh, died in 2007. I Harry just, Harry Haft. Yeah, Harry Haft. Yeah, I just watched this movie yesterday. Oh. So it was, it, that's why I was like when you said Marciano, I was like, oh wow. I just yeah. either way. Well, have you heard of Archie Moore? No. He's like, tell us about Archie Moore. Please do. Well, Archie was basically a 175 pounder. And he beat everybody around at 175 pounds. So he decided to fight heavyweight. Because actually everybody that made any money in boxing, especially back in them days, you had to be a heavyweight to make good money. And he's not talking about beat everybody around in St. Louis. He's talking about everybody around in the world. In the world, yes. So he decided to take on Archie, I mean uh, Rocky Marciano. So, and about, I don't remember the round, about the fourth or fifth round, he knocks Marciano down. Mm. So the fight went on to about the eighth or ninth round, somewhere in that vicinity, and and uh, Rocky stopped him. So he was coming back to St. Louis, and there was a sports writer at the Post-Dispatch named Gould, there's a ghoul today, but it's spelled different. It was, um, well, I can't remember his first name, but he was a friend of my dad's. And he was telling my dad that Archie was coming into St. Louis, and he said he had like a three-hour layover. He said, why don't we have dinner? So the sports writer went out to have dinner with him, and he said, now before we eat, I want you to tell me about the fight with Rocky Marciano. He said it was very simple. He said in the fourth round I knocked him down. He said now most people I knocked down didn't get up. So he said I turned around and raised my hand to show everybody that I was the champ of the world. And when I turned around, he said that guy was getting up. <laughs> and he didn't say guy. <laughs> he said he was getting up. 
And he said, well, what happened? He said, he just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was Mentally, that probably did a number on him, right? Archie Moore. Uh, yes. All, he's the longest reigning light heavyweight champion of the world from 1952 to 1962. Oh, really? Wow. Nicknamed the Mongoose. So, and he fought from 1930, 1935 to 1960. My dad fought on the same show wow. with him a time or two. Did he? Yeah. So did you know any of his trainers or where he trained at in St. Louis? Do you have any names there? Uh, let's see here. Ranks Moore's the third greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time. Box, oh. box rec ranks him the third greatest fighter of all time. Oh, wow. Pound for pound. Yeah. Which would be above Rocky Marciano. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And then, uh, let's see. He was a trainer. He trained Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, and James Tillis. He says, this is Wikipedia. Yeah. And then uh, 220 total fights, 186 wins, 23 losses. How many knockouts? 132. <laughs> oh, wow. And he was an awesome man. He's a bad man right so there. So did you have? Did you ever meet him? Oh, yeah. Well, I, let me tell you a funny story. We were. Do you remember when we had the Golden Gloves out at that North County, uh, that gym on uh, Redmond Road? I think that's probably before my time. I started okay. with you in 98. So Okay. I'm not sure what year this was, but... I had walked up to the front door. Somebody was trying to get in that was that was fighting, but they wouldn't let him in the door. So I walked up. There was only half a dozen people standing up there. The door opens, and in steps Rocky, I mean uh, Archie Moore. And this guy had brought him out to see the fights. And I looked at him, and I said, Archie Moore. And he kind of smiled, and I said, no, are you going to shake my hand? So I walked up and shook hands with him, and uh, nobody in the room knew who he was. Only you appreciated him. Well, I mean, they were all sports fans, but they were, I mean, fight fans, but they were just fight fans. They, you know, they didn't have no history of the sport at all. So they did, we did take him in, and they introduced him from the ring, and, um, well, nobody knows who he is now. No, it's a shame. I mean, Adam is a boxing guy. Yeah. You don't know who Archie Moore was. Yeah. Third greatest boxer of all time in the world ever yeah. from St. Louis, and we don't know who he I'm is. I'm so angry yeah. to boxing history. But that's yeah. not – that's everybody. Yeah. You know, not everybody. Uh, but it it is a shame. It's common, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that, that St. Louis amateur boxing thing, that um, – that, um, um, That award I showed you that I had. Um, the Lifetime Achievement? No. Um, it was a St. Louis uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. Mm. Okay. My dad was one of the best-known coaches in St. Louis. He took the national team to the nationals every year for I don't know how many years. My dad got put in the Hall of Fame back in the, I don't know, Merle Taylor started that, so I, I'm not sure when it was, but he put my dad in right away. And I'm telling you, in, in 10 years, them young fighters coming up 
had no idea who my dad was. And I was so disappointed. And I thought, well, I guess that's what it's going to be with me, too. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of those kids out there fighting today, fighting active, don't have any idea who I am. But that's the way it goes. I mean, yep. you, you just. We're all going to be forgotten. Doesn't yeah. matter who we are. That's true. Michael as, Jordan is going to be forgotten. As time goes on, I mean. Yeah. yeah. You just kind of leave the mark that you can, right? But, but people that knew you know you remember you. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, I've got a lot of awful lot of good friends out definitely there. Definitely changed a lot of lives for Mike, sure. Mike's been trying to get me to come out here for like since I started this show almost oh. four years ago. He's yeah. like, you need to come speak with Jim. You need to come speak with Jim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Well, we had a lot of fun together. Yeah. Mike, uh, Mike was responsible for a couple of those trophies down there. Uh, he had his share in winning them for me. So uh, he won the novice and the open, didn't you? Yep. In St. Louis, yeah. So you win the open heavyweight championship in St. Louis, you better be pretty tough. I fought a guy from our gym, so you didn't corner me. So I, I think uh, Kirk Douglas cornered me, and John Long cornered. Oh, okay. The other. Do guy. you remember who it was? I don't remember. We used to spar too. We got in a real fight at the gym too, like not a <laughs> not a joke fight. We got in a real real fight. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember why. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I kicked him. Oh my god! <laughs> not, not not a not a kickboxing kick. Like he was on the ground. Yeah. Oh wow. We were, we were, it was a real fight. Oh well, we my were in a, I was we were I was in my twenties. Yeah. Just it's different time. Different time. <laughs> yeah. Full of testosterone but, and ego and. <laughs> yeah. We. Uh, I think he was he was quiet. I, I don't remember his name. He was a nice guy. I just we just had a moment. I guess. Yeah, well, you know, I had a few of those down there. I had two sets of brothers that I remember specifically. Um, the Buchanan boys, Lamont and Vernon. Now, Vernon turned out to be the better fighter as years went on. But in the beginning, Lamont was older and, and a little better. But they got, they got in a, a fight a time or two down there. And then I had the the two brothers, um, two two black kids, and uh, they got in a fight, and one grabbed a broom and broke it and was beating his brother with a broom handle. And I had to kick him out, and he said, well, wait a minute, he's tougher than me, and he was beating on me. And I said, go home, rest, cool off, and come back tomorrow. So I never had any more trouble after that, but... Uh, you it, when we got in a fight, you didn't it, it didn't impress you too much. You didn't care about it one way or the other. Oh really? And we broke it was broke up pretty quick. Yeah, I think we probably got back up and sparred more. I had uh, I had a kid named his mother's name is Linda Evans, and I can't remember Casey Evans. And he went off to Hollywood, and he got involved in some movies, but. Uh, handsome, real nice-looking young kid, and a decent little fighter. And I had him working out with um, uh, Greg Hill. And the bell rang just as Casey was throwing a punch. So Greg threw a punch back, and Casey threw a punch back. And pretty soon I jumped in the ring. Do you remember Kusei Mahasan? No, but I remember Greg Hill. Okay, Kusei Mahasan, and I'll tell you a story about him. Kusei jumped in and grabbed Greg Hill, and he said, Come on, man, Mr. Howell don't need this kind of shit. 
And so I grabbed Casey. He said, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, are you mad about something? He said, no. He said, I punched as the bell rang. He said, I couldn't stop it. And he said, and he kept punching back and I kept punching back. And I said, well, you guys shake hands and let this be the end of it. They shook hands and that was that was all there was to it. But this Kusei Mahasan, and he has a brother named Belial. They both boxed for me. They came from California, but had never had any real fights. They might have trained a little bit. But Kusei was a well-built little guy, and I think he was probably, oh, 26, 126 or 135, and tough, tough kid. I mean, I could put him in with any open fighter I had, and he was very competitive. So he, there was a, a fight show in St. Louis. They called it the Missouri State Championships. It was down at a Catholic church uh, downtown, down off of uh, just east of 12th Street. And he was supposed to fight a kid who was ranked number five or six in the nation. And he had just won the novice championship in St. Louis. We had. The other kid had won the open championship three or four times and was rated like four or five in the nationals. And when they announced them, they read off all of their, their credits. And when they got to Cusay, winner of the whatever year it was, Golden Glove Novice Championship. So everybody's saying, oh, you know, this ain't going to be no fight. Cusay beat the hell out of him. Had him on the floor and everything. And two guys come up by the audience who had been betting. He ain't supposed to win this fight. What happened? <laughs> I said, well, they didn't know it, but I did. I said, I knew how tough he was. They didn't, or they wouldn't have took the fight. But uh, did the same thing. I took him down to down below Springfield, Illinois. Forget the name of the city, but there's a city in up around Chicago with the same name. But anyway, they had a guy. His name was Rocky Johnson, and he had been a five-time Kansas City Golden Glove Open champ. Now Springfield was a feeder tournament to go to. Sh to go to Kansas City to get to go to the Nationals. Well, this wasn't a tournament. This was just a fight show. But I I matched him with Rocky, and he'd only had seven fights at the time. And he just pounded Rocky from one end of that ring to the other. So when the fight was over, the referee picked up all the scorecards and handed them to the ring announcer and walked over to me, and he said, I don't have anything to say about the decision, but I'm telling you, I thought you were crazy when you put that kid against Rocky Johnson. He said, man, that son of a gun can fight. So I said, in other words, we lost a fight, huh? And he said, well, I ain't saying nothing. So then they announced it, and they gave him the win, the win on a, I don't remember how they announced it, a close or a split decision. So I said, man. I said, at least Jesse James used a gun when he robbed you. <laughs> I was looking right <laughs> at one of the judges when I said it. 
and uh, he kind of gave me a dirty look. But uh, the kid was just unbelievably tough. Later on, he got he got involved in a gang thing, and he got shot once. He crawled up on a lady's porch, and the the young girl at the house seen him laying on the porch, and she said, "Come on, get in the house quick." So he got in the house, and they bandaged his leg while he was waiting to get out of there, waiting for the gang chasing him to leave. And um, later on, he got involved in a murder, and he's probably still in Mm. prison somewhere. But I tell you, to me, he was a wonderful young man. He had so much potential. But them damn gangs, they just just control their lives, I guess. Yeah, that's got to be like a heartbreaking thing, right, as a coach. I mean, you've been, you spent so many years investing so much time and just energy just like in the community and these kids, and you see the potential, and then just something happens. <laughs> what area was the North Hanley gym on? What is that? Is that uh, Well, it's a that... little area of St. Louis County that nobody wants. <laughs> well, what's it called? I, I can't it's still remember. called St. Louis County. It's, just, oh, no, it's an it's unincorporated not... county still? It's St. John's to the west, it's Normandy to the east, it's Hanley Hills to the south, and it's Bell Ridge to the north. Okay, and that's just like a little pocket there. Just a little pocket there nobody wants, and I don't blame them. I'll tell you a funny story about that. We were in the gym one day, and one of the kids hollered, Hey, Mr. Howe, come here and look at this. And there's two little kids out in the street fighting, a little black kid and a little white kid, probably 10 years old. All of a sudden, here comes a bigger white kid, looks like he may be 12 or 14, and he slaps this little black kid in the head. Well, here comes his big brother, and he's bigger than him. Well, next thing I know, the white guy steps out with a gun, and he didn't shoot at nobody. He went bang. He said, hey, knock it off, everybody. Well, the black guy come out with a shotgun, and he said, well, this makes me big as all of us. Let's go. So... Somebody had already called the police. You hear the siren. <clears throat> this car pulls up. It stops in front of that house where the black family lived. Now, we call this lady Barney Fife. She was real skinny, and she kind of hobbled like Barney Fife did when she walked. She walked up to the door, and she went bang, bang, bang. And when the door opened, here come a 12-gauge right in her face. <laughs> wow. She turned around and ran to the car. Put in gear, all the way up the street, stopped just to pass the gym and called for help. And here come five or six police cars. And so they arrested both of the guys, took them both to Clayton, and I'm sure put them in jail. The next day, I'm telling you the very next day, one of the kids said, hey, Mr. Howell, come here. Here's this little black kid and little white kid that started the fight on the street playing with each other. <laughs> I said, well, that just proves mom and dad oughtn't to get involved in the kids' fights. They they can take care of themselves. We should let more kids fight. So. <laughs> yeah, I, that area was uh, – I didn't spend a lot of time driving around it, but I was always like, man, I hope my car doesn't get broken. <laughs> you know – I, I never mean, I, had I, a minute's trouble in that neighborhood. I didn't have a problem either. But. Never. And at one time, I got a call. There was a lady down the street, let's say, that was 
Well, I can't. Hanley and Meridian. Down the street on Meridian. She was a white lady, and she was married to a black man, and she had, she had two daughters that were mixed, and I think this, the son was possibly his son by another marriage. He looked more black than the two girls. The, the kids were all three great. The boy had been in the gym training. Uh, he never did fight, but he'd come in and trained. And the girls was always up there flirting with the boys. I had to tell the mom to keep them. She come up and told me one day the boys were making some sarcastic remarks. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll keep my boys away from her with the girls if you'll keep the girls away from my gym. She said, what do you mean? What are they doing at your gym? I said, they're girls, and these are boys. That's what they're doing. So I said, you better you keep your girls at home, and I'll keep my boys away. So we never had another problem. And then one night, we're sitting here, and I get a phone call. And she said, Mr. Howell, this is so-and-so, and I knew her by name. I don't remember it now. But she said, your gym's on fire. I said, oh, no kidding. So I jumped in the car and ran over there. Well, by the time I got there, the fire department had got there. I had a glass window was probably the size of that wall there. And it was, um, I know, at least half-inch thick glass. And they had broke that glass out. Mm. And what somebody had done... There was some plywood on there, and they'd pull the plywood back, stuff some rags in, and set it on fire. So they had to break the glass out. Well, now here I am. It's 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting in this neighborhood waiting for a board-up man to come and board that window up. So one of the black guys who lived back on Lyndhurst, which was the next street up, he said, uh, well, I'm staying with you. I said, look, you got to go to work. I don't. I'm retired. He said, no, I ain't, I ain't leaving you here. So he stayed with me till the board up people got there, and they boarded the window up, and then I left. So uh, he was a real good supporter of ours. I don't remember his name either. It's a shame. But he was a youth pastor at his church, and we had a set of weights on cables in the gym, and he had purchased them for us. Said he thought we might need them, and he come to several of our fight shows. But the neighborhood really stuck with me. They Sunday weigh-ins were horrible for those people in the neighborhood because there was cars in front of them. Some people even, at on occasions, parked in front of their driveways. You know, to get in, run in, and weigh in, and get out. Go, yeah. And I mean, it, it was a building. It was in a subdivision. Yeah. So it was. I remember. It was. It, there was no other. It wasn't businesses around it. It was only houses around it. Mm-hmm. So there was. Yeah. Let me tell you a funny story about that. The guy that the cops that broke in, the guy in a suit and tie, was the. What do you call it when you rate the neighborhoods like residential? Uh, business zoning zoning he was the zoning commissioner for st louis county he gave me his card he said let me just answer that All right, just, no problem just the next day uh, that monday following monday and uh the guy said well jim i'm gonna tell you you're in trouble i said what kind of trouble he said well that's neighborhoods uh zoned residential it's not commercial. I said, well, we're not commercial. 
He said, you're running a business there? I said, that's not a business. That's a not-for-profit corporation. I said, nobody gets paid. Every coach in there is there for the enjoyment of working with kids. He said, well, I like what you're doing. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn a blind eye to you. He said, I'm going to act like I don't know it. But if I hear any problems, you're going to have to get out. I said, okay. And that was that was 1975. So, <laughs> what yeah. year did you close that gym? 2015, 16. Well, it was a little before that, when St. Louis County offered uh, to to let us get in that school in Jennings. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I think it was, I I just don't remember the year, but it was probably around 12, maybe 10. Uh, and and then I sent Frank there, and I went to the St. Charles uh, North County Gym, and I took that one over, so. What kept you in like in that area for so long? Because like we were talking before, you were, like you, you grew up in Berkeley, right? And then you actually left boxing for a number of years, right? So what like I guess it's kind of two questions. What brought you back into boxing to start volunteering your time to actually coaching and, and giving so much of your time? And then also like what kept you in that area doing that for so long? Well, what brought me back was to help my dad. I thought he was getting old. <laughs> was in his 50s and 60s and I thought damn that man's getting old he needs help so I and he was always talking about man I got more kids down there that I can handle so but I was working I was married with two kids and was working two jobs so I went down every chance I got and every fight he had on a weekend I managed to make to go to help him with the fight show and um, so then like I said with the gentleman who wanted to put the gym in Florissant, I just accidentally got into coaching. Now, that was 1972, and I just never got out of it. And as far as the neighborhood, <clears throat> I would still be in that neighborhood if that gym would have stood up. <laughs> the, <laughs> the gym build, was falling apart. The building itself. I have a video of it I'll, send, I'll mm-hmm. give it to you sometime. Yeah, it was the roof. The roof was leaking in three or four different places, and one of the coaches, um, Kenny Riley, from Belleville, came over one day to bring a kid to box, and he said, "Man, your roof's leaking." I said, "Yeah, I know. We got some problems up there, and I can't. I don't have the money to fix it." He said, "I'm a roofer. I'll be back." So he came back the next day and f- patched the whole roof. And uh, it lasted for years (laughs) because it eventually come apart. But it was such a neat gym. People came there from all over, and I mean all over the country. I had had a picture down there of this white kid who was a a good fighter. I can't remember his name. This this all-timers is terrible. But... um, he sent me pictures of him to put on the wall down there. He'd come in and worked out with some of my fighters and uh, uh, guys from gyms all over the, the area would come out there and train. And um, so many of them told me, this is just as much home to me as my gym. I really enjoy coming here. So There was trainers all the time from all different gyms there. 
those I mean I remember when I come inspire work out with you there was always new trainers that I didn't know and new fighters I didn't know that would come in yeah and work out with your guys mm-hmm yeah. yeah it was a fun it was a fun time I'll tell you as far as what it done for the kids I'm just so proud of what it did for the kids but I didn't get into that for any social graces I got in because I wanted the sport of boxing to exist. I wanted kids to know what it w- was like. I mean, somebody did it for me, and I was just trying to pass it on. Well, how important is it to actually like be in a fight? You know, as a young man, or I guess even just anybody. Like, how important is it to to know like what it feels like to get hit in the mouth and then persevere and then come back and do the same? Well, if you're cut out for boxing. You won't recognize any of those punches until the next morning. Yeah. And you're saying, oh, my God. Like, why am I so sore? Oh, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you're not naturally gifted to live with the sport, then uh, it might scare you to death. Um, I've had a few kids. <laughs> I had one kid, a young white man. He's about 25 years old. Good athlete. And he wanted to start sparring. So that was before the books got so big, before you had to have the books to be able to spar. So I had another kid, a black kid, about his size and age, who was just clumsy and awkward. So I said, well, I'm going to spar you with so-and-so over here. But I said, "Um, you know, I want you to listen to me because I don't want this to be a, a war. I just want it to be a workout. So, and new guys don't know how to work. All they don't know how to do is fight. So they're trying to tear each other's heads off. And man, he had a rough first round, this white kid did. And the bell rang in the first round and he walked over to me and said, this ain't what I thought it was gonna be. I said, you mean you thought you was gonna kick somebody's ass and they ain't gonna hit you back, huh? (laughs) He said, I was hoping. (laughs) So he, he finished the workout. And I never seen him again. Oh, really? He walked out. I said, "That's a shame," because he had such he had some real talent. And the other, the black kid was just a natural fighter. He just he just swung and <laughs> ducked and <laughs> I mean, he was just a natural. He probably had ten thousand street fights, so uh, he knew what he was doing. And this this poor white kid, he was just lost. But he got that experience of being punched in the mouth. Yeah, he had yeah. to realize what it's like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he knew from then on. You had a guy named Radford Beadsley Ooh. that was undefeated, and yeah. then he signed with Don King, and then pretty much got put on the shelf, and it ruined his career, right? It absolutely ruined his career. He he was twenty something and O. Never lost a fight. Had won the. USBA, uh, United States Boxing Association, uh, regional title, that's the United States, and uh, NABF, National Association Boxing Federation, another national championship. He won both of those championships, and uh, King gave him some big money. See, that's, that's how the big guys get fighters away from people like me. I'll give you $25,000 to sign a contract. 
Well, Radford hadn't seen $25,000 in his life except from working, you know. And uh, so he signed and went off with him. King had him for four years. And in four years, he had two fights. Oh, wow. And I had given him 19 or 20 fights in less than three years. And uh, and I, I gave him the right kind of fights. I gave him tough fights where he had to work his ass off to win, but I gave him fights where uh, he stood a chance of winning. You know, he could see how good he was by the, the caliber of fighters he was fighting. And uh, so he called me one day and said, i got to get away from this guy. I said, well, do what you have to do. So he he got away from him and came back. And, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I trained him his last couple of fights with King. But, it, you know, you can't train all year long and have one fight and be ready. Your your ability to develop is is the fact that you're getting to fight in front of that crowd. You're, you're experiencing the, the trauma of a... A fight in front of a group and uh and he just he just wilted on the vine how often should a fighter be fighting do you think well and of course it's different with each fighter uh, each fighter is an individual i mean no two are alike um if you're really relaxed and and it don't make you too nervous to get up in front of that crowd then you can probably fight several times a year if they're not 10 12 round world type fights if you're just fighting ordinary competition why you know it's you could fight once a month if it's a four or six rounder yeah but then to fight those big tough fights i mean they take a lot out you usually have to take a a week or so off after the fight, you yeah. may still run a little bit, but you're going to take some rest and get the body back <laughs> back in good shape. Adam, how many how many pro fights did you have boxing? Just one? Just one pro boxing. Yeah, yeah. They had one pro boxing, one he, pro kickboxing. He fought your kid, Jose. Or uh, yeah, Jose. Jose. Jose Jones. Jose Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. So Jose, Jose, and I actually we fought in the Golden Glove Finals. I think it was 2010. I lost to him in the finals, uh -huh. and then um, we fought again as pros, and I won the pro match. Oh, I'll be darn! Yeah. Adam was a good fighter, really good fighter. Yeah, Adam, what's your last name? Meredith. Meredith. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mostly just did MMA. Mike always made us do everything, though. We always had to do kickboxing and, and boxing and jujitsu and more. Like he had us do everything as amateurs. Yeah. We I just figured the more competition, the better. Yeah, yeah. which was kind of to my question. You know, in the beginning, is it more important to like get those fights in? You know, and get that experience and get those rounds in. And obviously, as you said, when you get the oh, bigger yeah. fights, it's far and few in between. But with MMA, you know, we it was hard to get fights sometimes it was we yeah. we go months and months without fights and you're always training so mike always filled it in with all the other things sure no that was the best thing for you because the crowd and i don't really know how to say this i can only tell from tell you from my position i'd go to the gym overnight and spar and a lot of times it was i was 126 pounds at the time and i would be with working out with welterweights and middleweights and uh, I just worked out with anybody in the gym and it 
you know, I never thought two things about it. But when I had to fight, and it was another guy 126 pounds like me, I thought, nah, I don't want to get up there and look like a fool. I don't want to forget what I'm doing. I mean, I always had some of the most horrible thoughts in my mind. What if the bell rings and I go out there and I forget how to fight? Well, I never forgot how to fight. <laughs> but by the same token, you know, those are things that go through a guy's mind. Uh, I don't want people to laugh at me. I want to be. I want to look good. And, uh, I mean, it was just silly shit. But uh, the more you fight, the more you conquer those those thoughts and fears. Yeah, you learn how to kind of be, you know, become, you, you get comfortable in there, right? You can right. think, right? It's right. not it's not just react, that, reacting. That becomes your house. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, you, you've been involved with Golden Gloves since, what was the first year you were involved with them? You mean me personally or as a director? Uh, both, maybe. Okay, well, first time I went to the Golden Gloves, I was about 10, 12 years old. And I seen a bunch of kids get up and fight, and they had S, B, A, C on their trunks. S was South Broadway. South Broadway Athletic Club. But all I ever remember anybody saying S, B for was son of a bitch. <laughs> so I said, Dad, what have they got all over their trunks? He said, it's the name of their club. I said, what is it? He said, South Broadway Athletic Club. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> but um, there was a guy named Joe, Her Joe Weber was the coach, and he won the team championship every year. He had an awesome team. Most of the white fighters in boxing in St. Louis came from the Catholic Church. Every Catholic Church had a CYC or a CYO, they called it, the Catholic Youth Organization and Catholic Youth Council. Um, but, and them damn Catholic kids were the toughest, meanest kids in the world. And uh, so we had a lot of white fighters. Catholic Church ended boxing in their programs. And man, we went dry for several years. I mean, it was, uh, we had what we had already been developed, but it was a long time before they developed any clubs to bring white fighters along. And um, it was just so many good black fighters. And Kenny Lohr, we had a coach named Kenny Lohr. He operated a gym out of DeSoto Center, which was on Cass Avenue, real close to uh, Pruitt-Igoe Housing Project. Mm -hmm. That's where Michael Spinks come from and so many of the good, good fighters. I mean, he had some awesome fighters. And I'll tell you how I compare his club with the rest of St. Louis. He was the Roman army and we were the Christians. I mean, <laughs> out of eight fighters going to the Nationals, he a lot of times had six of them. Oh, wow. So he had he had Leon and Mike Spinks? Well, he had Michael. He didn't have Leon. Leon um, fought for, well, a couple of different clubs. And then this old guy who was a, a teamster, and a uh, and a gangster and he got leon and he got leon to sign a contract before he went off to the olympics which actually nullified his olympic Gold tournament medal. 
And if they'd have known about it, he'd have never been able to fight in the Olympics. Because he's technically a professional. And they were both. So how many – we had – there was more than – Leon and Michael were on the same Olympic team, right? Right. And there was was anybody else in St. Louis that year? I don't think we had anybody else on there that year. The guy from American Top Team, he was on that team. I can't remember his name. He was a, he, he's a boxing coach at American Top Team. Oh, okay. Where's he from? They're in Florida, but I don't know where he's from. Oh, he was okay. on that team. Okay. So that's kind of a cool story, though. Uh, Leon Spinks, uh, um, Sonny Liston lost to Muhammad Ali, which you say yeah. maybe could have been a could have been a work. Could have been. And uh, then Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali and bring the championship back to St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. What makes St. Louis such a pillar in the boxing community? Well, I think people tend to think of, like you said, the East Coast. I feel like we have great fighters, but we've been overshadowed by the promotion people. You know, where the they've they've like the like the Don Kings and the they've yeah. they've kind of shut us out a little bit. Mm. I don't know, Coach. Maybe you. But we've had some great coaches in St. Louis, some guys who were good fighters who done like I and so many other coaches, we tried to give back what was given to us. And um, we've just had some awesome uh, coaches and we've always been right up there. Now the last few years we have really suffered. Uh, The City Recs, Parks and Recreation who has been a pillar since about 1954 in developing uh, our black fighters is just about done. I heard they're trying to shut down all the city parks and recreations. I don't know how they can do that. Would that be like, was that like Matthews Dickey and, or is that uh, not? A, no, I think that's a private organization. A private. Uh, but like, like 12th, 12th and, Park. and Park, Cherokee, mm-hmm. Marquette. Um, I can't even remember who's left, but there used to be 12 or 15 city parks and recreations, and now I think there's maybe maybe four. That's terrible. Yeah, it's a shame, and it's kids that need someplace like that. Yeah. And when I was a when I fought in Golden Gloves, there was thousands of people there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, Clinton. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Clinton. Clinton Sponsored it, which was the uh, which is Gray Eagle. Yeah. So they're distributor for Anheuser Busch. Okay. Yeah. And then they lost when he passed. I think they or when Merle passed, Merle, they stopped sponsoring Golden Gloves well, and made it a big difference. They went to they went to sponsoring the Guns and Hoses. Yeah. They put their money in the Guns and Hoses. He used to buy tables from me all the time for all the all the finals. Was the only one he bought tickets for. But well, it was at Inca Hoots. Yeah, and it yeah. was there was style. There was like, but before that, it was at the keel, right? Well, it had been at the keel. The last time I fought was at the keel, and I think the next year or two it was at the keel, and then it was at the German House down on Jefferson and something, and that was a nice hall, and uh, then it just went wherever they could. I mean, it's been in some dinky little places and been some nice big places it's yeah. just there's a there's photos on online that somebody posted a 1952 golden gloves mm. and it's pretty cool to see the pictures and they're very clear and very good pictures really? well yeah. in that time the keel auditorium had the preliminaries which was four nights 
and it was three rings going at the same time. And then the finals was at the arena, and that damn place was would be packed. Yeah. I don't remember. I think they advertised a couple of times 16,000, 17,000 people. Oh, wow. For the Golden Gloves. But every neighborhood had a boxing gym back in the 50s. Boxing was like baseball. It was everywhere. Yeah. And like I said, the Catholic Church was was our main producer for white fighters, and uh, and they sold most of the tickets. Yeah, boxing isn't quite the same as it, as it used to be, right? I mean, I think when you hear, like, a Golden Gloves champion or a Golden Gloves boxer, I think maybe it means something a little bit different now than it did back then. Does that make sense? I think... It's not. It's not as popular as it yeah. Used it's to not be, as popular but, as it used to be. Or but like you said, there's not, there's as, not many as, gyms, as many people doing so. it. But let me tell you something. St. Louis has probably had since the 1930s when they started having Golden Gloves. St. Louis has probably had, and I'm just taking a guess at this. Twelve national champions. Well. While running that gym at Old Hanley and Meridian, I have had – is this on? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have had probably over 1,000, maybe 2,000 kids say, my grandpa was a National Golden Glove champ. My dad was a National Golden Glove right. champ. My brother was – I mean, <laughs> I had so many National Golden Glove champs of kids coming out of my gym – uh, and I didn't have the heart to tell him, no, son, your dad was not a national Golden Glove champ. Uh, but, yeah, you know, that's just a lot, a lot of people claim that. Don't who they? are some of the great fighters from St. Louis that, like, is it Arthur Johnson was an Olympian? and uh, Arthur was exceptional. Um, he was 112 pounds and just really a – Is he Flash? Is that his nickname? That's Flash is his nickname. And, and we he was had in the kid, Olympics. We mm, had a kid still. Oh, really? that yeah. fought him, and I thought beat him in the National Golden Glove Finals one year, a kid named Oni Hellums. Oh, that Oni was so good. But he was a little drug addict, and he, he was always in some kind of trouble. I just couldn't keep the kid in the gym, which was really a, yeah. really a shame. But um, I'm trying to think who else we had. The Spinks boys both went to the Olympics. Gosh, I just can't remember for the life of me who else we might have had. What's Buddy Shaw's grandson's name? Stefan. Stefan. He's really. He good. comes in the gym a lot. Yeah, he's. And he's is he, that's some. That's somebody I'm worried that they're gonna shut him out because he doesn't have. You know, it's a, it's a game. Uh, uh, with these big promotion promoters. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't know who he's signed with now, but. He seems to be like the next kind of guy from St. Louis. Yeah, he could be. He could, I mean, he could. He has the potential to beat these. He could be the heavyweight yeah. champion. Yeah. And he works his butt off, man. He yeah. works hard. Yeah. He is a he is a good fighter. His his wife is in the Golden Glove tournament this year. Oh, oh really? Yeah. She's fighting her championship on the fourth of of June. She wants to fight on the fourth because he's leaving on the sixth to go to training camp, and uh, she wants him to be able to see her fight. So. She's fighting for the championship on the fourth, uh, but he he went to the final, lost in the finals of the National Golden Gloves one year, and there was no reason for him to lose to that guy. He lost to one of those guys who never really fought you. He made you miss. He slipped. He bobbed. He counterpunched, and 
he would always fight the last 30 seconds of the round to steal the round. Oh. And we told him what to look for, but he just he just couldn't make it work. Then he turned around and went to the USA Nationals, I mean, just not too long afterwards, and uh, won the Nationals. And this guy, I think, was in it, but got beat in one of the preliminary bouts. So he had so much potential. Uh, really, really a good fighter, and he's... He, he could be a real threat for the title if if they give him a chance, but I'm afraid they're going to wear him out fighting these ordinary guys, and then he might not never get a chance. I wouldn't say that where he could hear it, but well, he might hear this, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Well, you didn't say anything bad. No, you, you just, know, you just you're, calling you're, how you root, see it. You're rooting for him, that's for sure. You yeah. can tell that. So. I, I, think it's a, I fear it. Yeah, well, it's important to call it how you see it, right? I mean, you've yeah. been in the sport and around the space for so long. I mean, you probably see patterns, right, yeah. of how deals are done and, yeah. you know, paths just kind of play out. And it's like, man – if you can give your words of wisdom now, hopefully he hears it so that way well, maybe he doesn't. Well, I don't know what you can do about it, though. I mean, he's he's with a good promoter. I forget the gentleman's name, but he is a, he is a good promoter. And uh, he has managed to fight him, oh, once or twice a year. He's had a lot of fights back out on at the last minute. He had one because of COVID and uh, – or maybe two. I'm not real sure. Yeah. And uh, – one guy, I think, supposedly broke his hand and couldn't fight. And so those things happen. It's a tough sport. I mean, I've heard things, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong or test this, but it seems like you have to have like 20 wins to kind of even be considered to even maybe take that next step in, at the championship level in boxing. And like if you have a loss, it can be pretty detrimental, it seems like, in boxing. Well, Leon Spinks won the world title from Muhammad Ali on his seventh fight. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I need to know more about boxing history. So we have a rule in the state of Missouri, and I guess it's still a rule. I haven't promoted a professional fight for some time. But the the rule is if if you've had 15 fights, you can't fight anybody with less than 10. So I asked the commissioner, I said, Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali for his seventh professional fight. What does that say about your rule? He said, I don't make them. I only enforce them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and he's, he's a great guy. Uh, Stephen Shaw, 16-0. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Six foot four. He he really is, because he was kind of a chubby guy, and then he started lifting weights with uh, Derek. Yeah, he's mad. Derek's so great, yeah, too. And, yeah. uh, it. I've just always heard with, like, boxing compared to, like, MMA, like, you can take a loss in MMA, and it may not be as detrimental to your Definitely. career as if you take one in boxing. Well, yeah. it and, may not be a detriment if they think, yeah, I'll let, I'll let my champ fight that guy. He's, he looks very beatable. Yeah. So, and I've told all my professional fighters through the years, um, if you lost a fight, don't quit because you lost a fight. Right. Now I can find a fight for you. When you're undefeated, it's difficult finding mm. a fight for you. So there's good and bad, and it changes with everybody. It's uh, it's just something you can't control. It's part of the sport. Yeah. You just got to take the good with the bad, right? You just got to yeah. ride. <laughs> Whatever happens, you just got to live with it. Yeah. What makes a good fighter, do you think? Like when you're looking at a fighter – 
what like what sticks out to you that says, man, like that kid has the raw talent, or like that's somebody I can really mold. Like what 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 turns them into a good fighter? Well, national natural athleticism is important. You got to be a natural athlete. You got to be able to to move and and protect yourself and defend yourself and fight and I've seen a lot of guys come in that were tough as nails and hit hard as nails, but had no idea how to move their head, how to keep from getting hit in the face. Um, you know, and it Steve has Berger. <laughs> <laughs> but he was tough. That's for sure. He no was doubt about tough that. and he could punch. <laughs> yeah. And and that guy's always got a chance. That puncher has the the best chance of pulling up a up upset of anybody. He was willing as he was the most willing person to fight. Yeah. Unbelievably willing. Yeah. <laughs> He'd fight anybody. I remember him telling me one time he was going to Japan to fight and just when he started telling me what they were doing for him, I, I was disappointed. I said, Man, they not, they gotta pay all them bills. You don't pay none of those bills. Those he said, I wanna fight this guy. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's him. <laughs> Yeah. How bad do you want it? Good I took gym. him down to 12th and Park once with uh, Kenny Lure, right? So Kenny, uh -huh. and he wanted to get some sparring in with the guy. And Kenny put him in there with a pro, and this guy was beating his ass. And I'm telling you, he Kenny didn't keep a timer either. He was like, okay, you start. And they yeah. were going. And they just <laughs> kept going and kept going. And, okay, that's time. That was like six minutes. Mm. And that and that pro was beating Steve's ass, and Kenny just said, kept him going, and that guy, that kid hit Steve so many times, mm. and he got wore out, and he wouldn't, and Kenny Lure would not let that guy. He was a pro boxer, and Steve was amateur, and he would not let that guy quit, <laughs> and Steve ended up knocking him through the rings, out of <laughs> out of the out of the ring, and Kenny Lure was like, it was Kenny's guy. He's like. Get up! I don't remember. It was like, <laughs> but they were doing like six minute round, four minute round. Like he, it wasn't yeah. on. The, he was. It was crazy. You just go mm -hmm. until he got tired. But anyway, that's just how tough Steve was. That's yeah. You know, but you know, you just never know. I've had kids that walk in there that were so natural to fighting, but it was so easy for them that they never had any any drive to really do it. Mm. They would wind up not being in good enough shape and say, oh, well, I, I can still play basketball. I can do this. I can do that. And uh, you just never know, you know, how the kid's going to be when he walks in the gym. Uh, one of the best little guys I had was Sylvester Cannon. He was a little redheaded black kid. He was five foot two and weighed 125 pounds, and he could knock you cold. He could punch like you'd never seen. And uh, he just beat so many guys and turned pro, but I could not get the kid to train. He wanted to party. He wanted to go out with the girls. He wanted to smoke. He wanted to, he wanted to drink. And I said, Sylvester? He said, well, it's going to be there. I, I'll, I'll get it right. I'll get it right. And he finally just, you know, just – Lost a couple that he shouldn't have lost, and uh, it ruined his career. But boy, could that baby fight. I took him to uh, Atlantic City. He was fighting on a um, ESPN card. Uh, 
there was a Italian kid out of New York that was undefeated, and they had just announced that they were getting ready to move him into the top ten rankings. And this guy called me and said, uh, would you let Sylvester fight? And I can't remember that kid's name. And I said, hell yeah. And they said, you would? And I said, yeah. So he called me back and he said, no, they said they didn't want to fight the kid. I said, why? They said, they don't think he's good enough for them. That It will lower his ranking. So I took Daryl Anthony to uh, Atlantic City to fight. And this guy who I don't know, but I had seen him at the way He was always at the weigh-ins at these shows. And he said, was you really going to let Sylvester Kennan fight so-and-so? And I said, of course I was. And he said, boy, I think that was a mistake. I said, well, evidently they thought it was a mistake too. That's why they chickened out. You know, <laughs> baiting this guy. And he said, chicken out? I said, yeah, they chickened out. Hell, they fought bums. And and it, that was okay, but now here I got a guy that can fight, and they don't want to fight him. They're scared of him. So, boy, I got a call the following Monday. The fight's on. <laughs> Sylvester beat that kid so bad. He knocked him out with a leaping left hook, and that kid was out on the floor for several minutes. And they were getting ready to take him to an ambulance. And uh, they finally got him to respond and got him up. And, uh, I mean, it was the opening for everything. But he went back to the same old, and, I mean, he trained for that fight. I told him, if you ain't in that gym every day, I said, I'm canceling the fight. He said, no, Jim, I'll be there. And he was, but I could not get him to train after that. Was that he the just, 80s? Yeah. Judy? Yeah. Who was that? Italian kid up at Atlantic City that you set in the wrong. <laughs> yeah, Gino Gerolamino was the guy's name. His dad was supposed to be in the racket. So I don't know if that's true or not, but kind of scared us for for a little bit. <laughs> but uh, he was really a he was a tough kid. He went on and won some kind of little title after that. But boy, Sylvester blasted him. Is the, so you you showed us your your trophy room and, and some of the the different things that you've achieved and been a part of and there's there's so many and and I'm sure they it kind of all starts to blend together after all the years but is there is there any is there anything that sticks out in your mind that was that where you're like man I can't believe like that I did that or like man like that actually happened because of boxing like is there any any uh you know event or something that really sticks out to you it's like man like that was really cool i can't believe i did that the only thing that really sticks out in my mind is that how long i worked at least five days a week in a gymnasium and i'm telling you i would come home she'd have dinner ready for me i'd come home from the post office She'd have dinner ready for me. I'd eat, sit down in my big chair, like over there, and doze off asleep. And she'd say, got to get up, get ready to go to the gym. And I'd think, oh, I wish I could stay home. I would walk in that gym, and 15 minutes after I walked in with those kids, I was so charged up. I just can't believe how much 
pleasure and enjoyment I got out of it. I can't believe how my wife was so sweet and allowed me to do it. Of course, maybe she was trying to get rid of me. I don't know. <laughs> That's why you guys are but, still married. She had to keep you away for a little bit for but her own even, sanity. <laughs> even my kids, uh, we'd go to the Springfield Golden Glove Tournament, and I'd take Judy and the kids, and we'd get a room, and and they'd go to the tournament every night with us. And, and uh, I, it was kind of a family affair. My son played baseball and basketball, and he was a good go-kart driver, man. He he drove all over the country, and I was able to go with him and still keep my gym open. I don't know how I got all of that done. Our daughter showed horses for a couple of years, and I had to buy a pickup truck and a trailer to haul the horse, and uh, I, I don't know how I was able to do everything. You oh. held a lot of pad, pad rounds. <laughs> I did. You held, you held pad rounds for me oh. all the time. Oh, I, I'm, it must have been 20, 25 rounds almost every night. You did, yep. Yeah. Everybody that came in there, you would hold pads for. Yeah. Even if they weren't, even the guys that weren't very good, you'd hold pads for. I still held pads last night for Steve. <laughs> for I who? took Steve Blinzik, he's a 61-year-old man, or will be 61 in September, and he's wanting to fight again in the <laughs> in the Masters division. And uh, you held uh, pads last night. How old are you now, Jim? 85. 85. Mm -hmm. That's pretty. And you were probably in the 60s when you were holding pads for me. Let's see. In ninety in two thousand, I was in ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, six, probably sixty one, sixty. Yeah. Well, in in nineteen ninety one, I was fifty five years old. Yeah, so ninety nine, so, you said right, ninety eight. Yeah, so you're like sixty, probably sixty. In the six, yeah. early, you probably. and you held for big, big guys. You held yeah. for you took it all. You know. Yeah. So I try hit as hard as I could. Well, yeah. I, that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> during, so during all that time, you, I mean, you're working a full-time job, you have a family, and then you're still, like, volunteering all that time at right. the gym in the evenings. Right. Just go, 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 go. But I think I got more out of it than they did. Mm. I really did. It was It was my life. It was... It was what kept me going. And before that, before I started helping Dad, <clears throat> excuse me, I, ha I was working two jobs, and I was working 40 hours a week on both of them. The one I worked probably every day of the week, including Saturday and Sunday, and maybe maybe worked five hours a day or something. And some weeks I didn't put in a full 40 hours, but... I was working so much and getting so little sleep that, man, I just about went zonkers. And I asked the doctor, you know, why, man, why am I, why am I so upset? Why am I so nervous? Why am I so? He said, well, you're not getting the, your rest. You need to quit that part-time job and get some rest. Well, you know, I eventually quit that part-time job. And I'll be damn, I started training and did the same thing with my boxing. <laughs> but there was a difference. Mm. I thoroughly loved what I was doing with my boxing. I enjoyed uh, getting in the ring and holding the mitts with the guys and just loved watching turn some big fat kid into a heavyweight <laughs> champion. Big champ. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. 
It's funny because I was a pro MMA fighter fighting amateur boxing, but back then. Oh, you could get away with that. No, well, no, you couldn't have no. well, known it. Well, there was no pro <laughs> sanctioning. Mm. I never fought a sanction. I don't think I ever fought a sanctioned fight. Yeah, like, and no I one's maybe, like, no one's looking on the internet to see what. Right. You're well, even even then, I didn't fight a sanctioned fight. Even uh, when I went to California, they, nothing was sanctioned. Illinois, Minnesota, California. There were, there was on Indian Indian reservations mm-hmm. or so it wasn't. And some of my fights aren't even on like Sherdog or right. So it was not a. It was different. It's a different time. Yeah, because MMA was just beginning. There was maybe yeah. there, it wasn't like UFC was every week like it is now. It was yeah. like four times a year oh. or three times a year. And what did you think of you like of MMA as it was coming along? Were you just like ah, that's a thing that's gonna pass, or like boxing still? Well, king, I didn't know what the commissions were gonna do with it. Mm. Um, they were so you know we used to have fifteen round world title fights. And somebody got killed, so they cut it to 12 rounds. They we used to they used to box even heavyweights with six ounce gloves on. Now I think it's eights and tens, tens for heavyweights. I think it's eights up to 154 pounds, and then tens the rest of the way up. But I didn't have any idea of how the com- commissions was going to allow that. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine kicking somebody in the head. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't. And and as far as the difference between boxing and MMA, um, MMA has the advantage because they've got so many different things that they can do. Boxer can only use his hands. I mean, in a fight, in a mixed fight, he could kick, but he ain't going to know how to kick. He could grab you around the neck and try to choke you, but he ain't going to know how to do that. So the boxer would have to do his damage before the MMA fighter could get a hold of him. Oh, before he coached uh – the one arm, the one box. Who's the guy with the one glove? You coached. Garrett the, was just telling me about him. Yeah, he was in the who, UFC. You, you you coached the UFC guy in the very first UFC, and he came out and fought Hoist Gracie with the one glove. Yeah, he's still here in St. Louis. I think. I can't yeah. Remember. Um. You. But the, he fought. Hold on, I'll he, look it up. He he was a boxer and he participated in UFC one, and he he went in there and he had one boxing. Was glove that on. in Birmingham, Alabama? Probably. If it is, he's dead. Art Jimerson. Oh, no. That's Art. I don't know. I don't know anything about Wait. Art. Art fought for Wellston, and he fought on a lot of my shows. Is it Art Jimerson? No. This is. Don't wait for me. I'm not uh, very fast. Well, the only guy I can think of, I took him to Birmingham, Alabama, and yeah, it's Art Jimerson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought that, that you right. coached Art Jimerson. Yeah, I, I know who Art is. Okay. But because uh, he fought on a lot of my fight shows at Heart of St. Charles, uh, and he main evented a bunch of them, but uh, I, I didn't follow his career any farther than, than around here. Where was that at? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, it don't, was probably like Oklahoma or something. Okay. I think but, the first one was in Denver. 
first one was in Denver. Maybe I, I thought it was like North Carolina. I went I to could, the second one. I could be wrong. I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I took that kid. He was from. Um, he wasn't a kid. He was a man, grown man. He was from Union. Uh, no, down there by Six Flags. A Eureka. Oh, that that's a you Pacific. Took, yeah, that was a. I don't remember his name. He passed away though. Yes, he drowned at Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah, he he was uh, in the, one of the first ones. He trained with Brian Jones and um, and. Uh, yeah, he 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 had a couple, two or three pro fights for me. He won all of his pro fights. He was he was a decent fighter, but he went down to we took him down to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, to fight in a. MMA fight, and this referee comes up to me and says, now remember, this ain't boxing. Don't let this guy get hurt. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy, but I'll, I'll do my job. You do yours. <laughs> so he's fighting this guy, and he's, he was whipping his ass, but he wasn't. What he did down there, he went to the bar every day and drank a couple of beers and smoked a couple of cigarettes every stinking day. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I do this all the time anyway. He said, it don't matter. Well, he got out there, and this kid was a little tougher than he thought, and he had a chokehold on the kid. He should have he should have finished him, but the gloves, the kid got a hold of the gloves and managed to get his hand off. And once he got the chokehold broke, well, he just kind of took the guy apart. So I remember that was he's the first guy from St. Louis to fight in the UFC. Oh, okay. That was the UFC that you – I didn't know you coached yeah. that. He trained with Benny Voiles too, right? Well, yeah, he and Benny both fought for me. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. I didn't know uh, Benny fought for you. But. but anyway, he he uh, the referee come over and said, "Man, I told you to watch this guy." I said, "You do your job, I'll do mine." <laughs> so in the finals, one of the Gracies was fighting. I don't remember who the guy was. He was fighting. I'm almost positive it was the Gracie kid that got beat so. Bad. I mean, they hauled him out of the ring on an on a stretcher and hold him to the hospital. And as the referees walking by, I said, "I thought you were going to do your job. Why'd you let that kid get beat to death for?" And he said, well, "Shut up." <laughs> kept, kept walking. Yeah, that would have been the first guy from St. Louis in the UFC, I think. Yeah. The, but that was, and then the, and then Steve Berger fought in like UFC 14. Uh huh. And then, so you were involved with both of those guys. Yeah. And the first guy to get a win in UFC from St. Louis is, was uh, Lance Benoist. Oh, okay. He was my fighter. So basically, uh -huh. there's the lineage. Lineage from you, too. So, yeah. It's all connected to you. I had a, a kid, well, he was boxing when I was boxing, named Benoist. I can't remember his first name. He was a member of a family in North County. And it was a kid named Donnie Benoist. He was 16 years old, probably weighed 190 pounds. He had shoulders like that. That was the meanest kid I've ever seen in my life. He was always beating somebody up. And uh, he got shot and killed. Somebody figured they couldn't beat him with a fist, so they beat him with a gun, so they shot him and killed him. Mm. But... Uh, this kid was a pretty tough kid too. He he would have made a good boxer, but he just didn't. He just didn't stick with it. You just gotta keep on sticking with it, right? <laughs> right. 
Well, if you're cut out for it. If yeah. you're not cut out for it, get the hell out because it's uh, it's not a it's not a fun sport if you ain't competitive. Yeah, it's not for everybody. That's there ain't for sure. nothing worse than getting your face punched in and when you don't need to. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Well, all right, let's wrap this up. Um, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. I think we've been talking for close to two hours. Um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so yeah, much for Jim, having us Jim's do this. A, Jim, you're the staple to the St. Louis boxing community. You're the, well, I'm I'm the last of the – You're the last man standing. Last of the old dinosaurs. You and Buddy Shaw, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's truly an honor. Like, it really is um, for me. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. Yeah, I ask, uh, so I was asked by somebody who I thought was the best trainer in St. Louis at the time. And they all thought Kenny Lure was the best trainer. And I said, Buddy Shaw. And they said, well, why would you say Buddy Shaw? I said, because Buddy teaches defense and offense. He teaches everything. And, and Kenny teaches conditioning and fighting. And I said, that's that's not what I like. But I said, you can't condemn Kenny because he's been so successful at it. But uh, Buddy Shaw was really a technician. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way he, he taught his kids. But... Life goes on. <laughs> well, 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 actually, one last question. Is there, like, any advice or anything for, like, the young fighters that are coming up, you know, that you would leave them with or, you know, things that they should focus on or, you know, anything you can kind of point them to? Well, if you want to box, get in a gym where you've got a coach that takes care of you. Um, the object isn't to beat people up in the gym. The object is to learn how to box and the most important thing is conditioning. And conditioning starts the minute you get your hand wraps on, you should stay busy the whole time you're in the gym. The worst thing to do is walk in a gym and see guys standing around talking or leaning against a wall or laying on the ropes while somebody else is boxing because those kids are not gonna be in shape. Gotta be in shape. It's conditioning. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks again. All right, everybody. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Adam. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. As always, if you're getting value, just do me a favor. Tell a friend. Bring us a new friend for the next episode. I will be eternally grateful if you do. That's all I have, though. Just keep being rad humans. We'll be back very soon with another conversation. I'll catch you next time. Love you. Bye. Mwah.